You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Talking Chop Podcast. This is episode seven. I am Carlos Colazzo, your host. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, Brad Roland, our usual co-host, is not with us today. But we're upgrading Brad's position for our prospect gurus, Eric Cole and Garrett Spain. How are you guys doing today? Doing great, man. Yeah, yeah doing good. Yeah, I'm excited to have you guys on here. We've got some ex- uh, interesting stuff going on in spring training. Maybe not interesting for you guys since we've had some of the better prospects sent down over the past week, but we can we can touch on some of that stuff as we get into the podcast. A couple notes before we jump into the bulk of the show. Uh, Julio Tehran allowed three runs in the fourth inning against the Yanks uh, Saturday afternoon, I believe, um, but I don't think there's too much to look into in that start. There were some defensive miscues by Nick Swisher and Hector Oliveira. If anything, uh, the Hector Oliveira misplay in the outfield might be more concerning than Tehran's three runs are allowed. Uh, Sunday afternoon, Bud Norris with another shaky start against the Tigers. He went 4.2 innings, allowed six runs, five earned, seven hits, uh, one walk, and five strikeouts, but most of that damage came in the first inning. I think after the first inning, he only allowed... One run and one hit. Um, aside from play on the field, the Braves claimed left-handed pitcher Jesse Biddle off of waivers from the Pirates on Saturday. Uh, Biddle's kind of an interesting guy. Do either of you two know anything about Biddle? Do you have a scouting report prep for us, or is this guy too too off the radar? I know he was a first-round pick in 2010, but Eric, are you familiar with Biddle at all? Garrett, either of you? Uh, I've had a passing familiarity. He's always had been kind of a guy that like everyone's like, hey, you need to watch his wind-up and... Mm-hmm. You know, like he like a, like a really funky delivery, a lot of effort. Um, I don't really blame blame the Braves because he does have a like when he's healthy, he does have a really live arm. But I mean, that I wouldn't put, take you know, I wouldn't put too much stock in the move other than just the Braves just kind of taking a flyer on a guy who could potentially end up being an asset. But it's not that con- it's not that surprising that he got released, and it's really not that surprising he got claimed just by anybody really. Mm. Any other opposing thoughts? Um, no worries if not. I think I think Biddle is kind of an interesting pickup, uh, just because you, you look at you look at that first round draft and the uh, any guys any any players who were drafted in the first round are always interesting to me because at some point there had to have been some talent there that, that teams were valuing. Um, control has always been an issue with him. You mentioned his his kind of a funky delivery, but I think this is kind of another one of those Coppola John Hart moves. I mean, this is a guy. Just had Tommy John surgery last October, I believe. He's not going to be playing in 2016. Um, the last time he was on a Baseball America top team list, he was the number 11 prospect for the Phillies in 2014. 
Um, and at that point, they were saying that his ceiling was as a, as a back-end starter. So I feel like at this point, you're kind of maybe hoping that he can eventually turn into a bullpen piece, a useful guy out of the pen. Am I, am I off base with that, Eric? I don't think so. I mean, like I, once you have your Tommy John and you're already kind of like falling off being a starter anyway, mm-hmm. you're just kind of hoping that he ends up, you know, he, I mean, he's he's got the frame to be like kind of a, a, a legitimate bullpen threat, maybe even, a, maybe even like a long guy or even towards the back end. Mm-hmm. But like I like I said, I mean it was it, it it felt like a very minor move to me, despite the fact that he was a first first round pick. He was a first round pick so long ago. He's almost a non prospect at this point. Yeah. But he but but he's kind of one of those, you know, pickups where there's actual real upside as opposed to just you know just filling out a minor league roster. Okay. Um, cool. So. Yeah. Well, moving on to some some players who are not uh, non prospects. We we had a bunch of those. Top prospects for the Braves sent down: uh, Dansby Swanson, uh, Sino Albies, Malik Smith, Aaron Blair, Lucas Sims. And I know the uh, the casual everyday MLB fans were sad to see this, obviously. But is this more of a heartbreaker for you guys? Since this is, I mean, these guys are your bread and butter. These are the guys that you're you've been watching for a while now, and these are the guys that you're hoping are going to turn into star players that you've been following for years. So, what were your thoughts when these players were sent down? Uh, Garrett, you want to kick us off? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, obviously it wasn't a surprise. We saw this coming. All of them were up, appeared to send, start out in the minors, but I think it's really just a positive sign that they came in. They all contributed and played well, so it's not a surprise. But. All right, Eric? Um, I mean, I'm kind of bummed. I mean, like, I, I, I ultimately did not think that any of these players were going to break camp. The best one, the one that had the best chance was Aaron Blair. Um, but it, it seems like just knowing Freddie Gonzalez that he was going to try to break camp with these veterans to begin with. And there's serv- there's a lot to consider with service time considerations for especially these pitchers like Newcomb and Blair. I mean, if you really do think they're going to be good pitchers, you don't want to bring them up in spring training if you can help it, especially if this is kind of a lost year anyway. Yeah. Um, you're going to let the you know the Yuli Chassines and you know players like that. Yeah, just let them let them at least eat up those first few months. And if you really need a pitcher, you know, then you can always look to an Aaron Blair or even a Lucas Sims who uh, looked you know off and on really good as well. Um, I and I think that. Uh, one of the bigger things with the pitchers not making breaking camp is that Fulte kind of came back a little quicker than I think that a lot of people came back thought he was going to come back. Yeah. Um, and he just kind of popped in and like you know made his spring training debut the same day that Grilly did, uh, which was kind of a little bit out of left field, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I mean Tehran Te- not being particularly not particularly dominant today. And you know Bud Norris being at best inconsistent this spring. I mean, the Braves are going to be looking to those guys. You know these these guys in AAA that are going to be close to ready, if not ready. Certainly. Was there any any of these pitchers that maybe stood out to you over the spring? I know we, we say this every time we talk about spring training, but it's obviously small sample size. There's you can't look into it too much. But did you guys notice anything from any of these young pitchers that maybe gives you cause for concern more than you had before spring training, or even the opposite way, where maybe uh, they've they've got you a little bit more excited than you were before this spring. You can take it, Garrett. Uh, I mean, I don't I don't really have anything on this. It's nothing. No, so I don't so really lo- I don't read much into spring training stats and performances, so it doesn't really. Okay. Yeah, I mean, they're 
ultimately, these are all like two inning stints. Yeah. You know, I mean, like two inning stints. You can't tell how they're going to be as starters. I mean, they're kind of going against weird lineups. I mean, I think Tehran the other day had to like go against like a lineup where he had like, you know, seven or eight left-handed bats against him, mm-hmm. which is <laughs> just not. Which is like you you can only read. He did so pretty much. well against that against that lefty uh, lineup, didn't he? Uh, yeah, he did. He did it yeah. surprising, surprising, <laughs> well, especially right. against his historic splits. But you know, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, he ultimately like I never I even if like Newcomb and Blair and Sims had all pitched you know two starts of three innings apiece and struck out every batter they faced. I mean, you just can only read so much into that. Mm-hmm. Basically, what that tells me is that they might be pretty good relievers at the major league level. If anything else, I mean, yeah, just giving them a chance to get a taste of you know. Major League camp. Just okay. give them a taste of what's going on. I think so, that's... Yeah, okay. So is, it, is that basically the same thing for the hitters? Is it kind of just the same situation there? Just, just not enough at-bats to really get a good gauge on what they're doing? Or can you tell more from a hitter just because of the nature of the position that they're playing? Um, I, I think it's harder to hit in spring training. Like early on, it just seems like the pitchers, generally speaking, always have a head start for mm-hmm. whatever reason. So... And I kind of just, like, seeing Malik Smith with any amount of slugging percentage is bizarre to me. <laughs> and, you know, like, I mean, th- there was a game where Ozzy Albies and Malik Smith both went deep. And, I mean, Garrett was talking to me about this, and it was hysterical. He's like, you know, we probably won't see those two guys hit home runs in a game, in the same game for 15 years. Ever again, yeah. Yeah, it's just <laughs> never going to happen. Yeah, Garrett, do you want to touch on the Malik Smith hype that we had after that game? I know a lot of people were really excited about what he could do with the bat, but what do you see um, out of Malik's as far as his offensive potential is concerned uh, at the big league level? I definitely haven't watched him a lot. I think he's limited. He doesn't, you know, he's not going to show a lot of power, even though he did this spring, but mm-hmm. he's slowly, sh- he keeps performing, so at this point, you kind of start to think that he could be a very good leadoff hitter. Mm-hmm. He walks a lot. He's. You know he's cutting it back on the strikeouts, and you know we know about the speed. So I'm getting more and more excited about him okay. as a potential. What's the what's the big concern that you have with him? Is it just a track record for his hit tool, or or, or what is maybe the biggest question mark for his offensive tool set? He's not. I mean, he's just not the strongest player, and that's something he'll improve on as he gets into you know working out more. But he doesn't. He has a. He doesn't always drive the ball. He's sometimes late on pitches. He's stiff in his swing, but mm-hmm. you know it's something that he's overcome so far in his career. So you can't you can't complain too much. Gotcha, Eric. Is a similar uh, critique from you? Yeah, I mean, I just um, one wonders if it's either like physically, like how he just how he's just going to be swinging the bat, or if that's just kind of like especially when he's been scuffling. I've noticed that he rolls over on balls a lot. And, like, you just wonder if he's just trying to put the ball in play and then just, you know, if he can beat out an infield single, that'll mm-hmm. kind of break him out of his funk. Um, yeah, I would assume this is something you see out of really fast players a lot, that they kind of just rely on their speed and try and just uh, hit the ball into the ground and see if they can beat it out. Do you guys notice this as well? Maybe even not when they're struggling, but just in general, you kind of use that to your advantage at the lower level and you kind of feel like you can still rely on that until it stops working. I, I definitely see that with Malik's. Uh, he. And I guess you see it with Albies. They try to slap the ball the other way a lot. Um, they'll bunt. I mean, both of them are willing to bunt, put the ball in play, and just try to beat it out. Mm-hmm. That's definitely something you see with a lot of the players, especially in the Braves system. They have a lot of speed guys. 
Yeah, it actually got it got it got Malik benched. I mean, he tried to do like the Etro. <laughs> he got the he did try to do the Etro slap bunt, and you know that's. I mean, there's a play, there's a place for that, but I you know I guess the Braves had already instructed him like, hey, that's not really what you need to be working on up yeah. here. And then he did it anyway, and Freddie benched him on the spot. Um, now that ultimately led to basically half of the Braves' Twitter wanting to set Freddie Gonzalez on fire. <laughs> but you know, it, it's something. I mean, several of Albie's hits have been like ground balls to like deep short or deep second and like you just can't throw him out he's mm-hmm. just he's not he's not putting a lot on the ball but he'll also drive the ball more especially from the right side of the plate okay. um, yeah, i was gonna ask about ozzy i was just in relation to malik smith what uh, how would you guys rate their their speeds i know we've always heard that malik's is a true ad speed guy and we've also heard that uh that albies is a pretty quick guy as well but how does their 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 speed compare to each other um I think Albies has a little bit more first step quickness. I think he's maybe a little bit more well rounded as a runner, but Smith on pure straight line speed hasn't beat. Yeah, I mean fairly easily. I think. Yeah, Mal- Malik's went from first to home in less than nine seconds. Well, um, when it, in, his, in his first pitch running appearance, I don't get is, out of bed with, in less than nine seconds. Yeah, and he did, and he did that with a slow up at second to make sure the ball wasn't caught. <laughs> That's true. So yeah, it was it was it was unreal to watch. I was like this, they, like they did, there wasn't even a throw. They didn't even try, um, but I mean, but Garrett's right. I mean, like you know, in terms of like first twitch, uh, and it comes from his position probably. You know, Albie's at short. You know, he he has great instincts. He's been great at short, um, and he's just going to be. I think he's going to be quick. But just in terms of like, if you're grading his speed tool, it's Malik's, and it's. I don't know if it's even that particularly close. Where do you put Albie's on the the twenty eighty scale? If you guys do that, where would you where would you peg Albie's speed? Just raw speed, I guess. I, I, got, I got him about 65 or 70, okay. probably closer to a 70 than a 65. I probably have him closer to a 65, but we're, we're splitting hairs at that point. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's still yeah. still pretty quick. Yeah. Um, and actually, I think, I think this is kind of a good jumping off point into one of the questions we had. Um, we've, got a, we've got a handful of good questions about the prospects and that, that I feel like you guys could address really well. But jumping into a question from Hey Bata, great name, by the way. Uh, he asks, based, I assume it's a he, but it could be a girl. Based off of what you've seen or heard, how would you handle the Albies Swanson infield equation? And I feel like this is a perfect question to, to throw to you guys because you've seen these two probably more than any of the other people on the site. Um, so is there is there a, a better shortstop among these two, or is it kind of just, hey, pick whoever you're feeling that day? Or what do you think is going to be the future with them positionally? Eric, if you want to start it off, you can go ahead. Um, I actually don't think the Braves are wrong in doing it the way they're. Been, there's a rumor that they're going to try to, and that is like you know they had always said that they're going to try to put them at different levels so they can both play shortstop. Mm-hmm. But I guess in spring training they've gotten really close and they've have come around to the idea that maybe we need to get these guys playing together because they're both going to be really good. So there's a rumor going around now that. They will be playing at the same level, either at high A or double A. Um, blind guess, I would actually guess double A if they're trying to accelerate Albies a little bit, based on how good he's been this spring. I'm gonna hope for high A just so I can see him in Carolina, maybe. Well, we're well, we're gonna find him regardless, um, <laughs> somehow, some way. He's 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 been excellent this spring. Yeah. Um, right. And then the rumor is, and whether or not it's true or not, you know, we're talking about social media, so whether or not it's actually gonna happen is a big a big if. Uh, is that they'll switch every week. So Albie's at short, Dansby at second, then after a week they switch. And they're basically going to see who the better shortstop is because ultimately they're both very – they both have good arms. 
They both can feel the position. It's just ultimately who's going to be better at it, and then the other one just slots into the other in this second. Um, and I, I would be perfectly fine with them doing that. Do you think that ideally, like if you were making the decision, would you would you do you think there's a benefit to flipping them and having them play the middle infield together, or do you think maybe uh, they could they could develop better if they were both playing shortstop for a different team? Do you think there's any negative to maybe flipping them back and forth, or is it maybe maybe just positive in your mind? And eat, Garrett, you can jump um, in if you want. I, I mean, it, it's about developing consistency. With Swanson, he's played second base before, so he really he knows the footwork around the base well and making throws. Albies is going to have to put in more work in that line because he's played shortstop his whole his whole career. But it's not. I don't think playing him on the field is going to be as big of a deal as just how often each one gets practice time at either position and mm-hmm. works on their infield. So for you, you're just more looking at Albies trying to kind of learning second base if he has to play that position. Definitely. And if you guys were to obviously we're we're still a little bit away from them being regular major league players, but if you guys were to just guess at this point which one ended up as the shortstop and which one ended up as the second baseman, assuming neither is traded, what would you guys say? Because me, from my limited perspective, I would say Dansby at short and uh, Albies at second, and this honestly just comes from the fact that. Dansby's bigger. I've always been a little bit worried about Ozzy's uh, his size, and I feel like that worry kind of is lessened and lessened every every time I hear anything else about him. But I would just I would just say Dansby short, Ozzy second. But what do you guys think is gonna end up happening? Gun to your head, got to choose. Um, I probably give Dansby the best shot at being at at shortstop. I'd probably have him like sixty forty. Mm-hmm. Um. Counting out Ozzy Albies at this point, you just can't do it. You know, like every, every every point of the process when he was being signed, he's like, "Wow, this kid's really athletic. Too bad he's only five seven or whatever." <laughs> you know, and they're you know, and he's like, "Well, I'll show you." And then he went in rookie league and was I mean, I mean, Kyler McDaniel put him as the number one Braves prospect before the season even started last year, um, and you know that's how good he was playing down there and how much people thought of him. And you know, then he went through Rome and you know was having multiple you know long hit streaks and, you know, impressing people with his glove, with his arm, you know, and you have to wonder at some point, like, hey, maybe this kid's just going to be able to be good enough to be at short. Um, but that's not a knock on Dansby either. Uh, I'd like to get more time watching Dansby field um, because they're, they're, they're two very different players in a lot of ways. Like, you know, Albies is going to be the more prototypical top-of-the-order type guy. They're both going to have good on-base percentages. It's just going to be depending on, you know, how – they develop at the plate and whether or not they can feel the position and what the Braves want from those positions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, they, they, they'd both be great second base, be great second baseman. They'd both be great shortstops. Uh, it just kind of be it's going to be tough. And I would give the edge to Dansby at this point, but I wouldn't count Albie Albie's out at all. Garrett, yeah, right now, if if it were right today, I'd have Swanson at shortstop because Albie still has some inconsistencies. He's got issues with his footwork on his throws so he's inaccurate he makes a lot of errors there but on the pure ceiling i'd say albies he's he's faster he's quicker he's got great instinct so i think by the time they make it to the majors i have a feeling albies will pass swanson and take over the shortstop position and, but either way it really doesn't matter they're both going to be both should be above average shortstops and second basemen. so it's going to be a great middle infield combination no matter who wins the job yeah, it should be exciting. And for you, Garrett, is is that edge to Dansby really based on the fact that he's 
he's been in college and he, he's a college player and he has a little bit more polish? Is it more of just kind of getting the experience that you think sets him apart at this point? Oh yeah, that's yeah. It's just he he's more he's closer to ready as a defender and Albie's just isn't. There's small parts to Albie's game that he needs to work on. Some of it mental mm-hmm. and that's which and Swanson's already has like four years on him, so he's already got that under his belt. Very cool. Yeah, it should be interesting to see what happens with both of these players. Uh, and I'm honestly really excited to see when they're going to bring either of them up because I feel like uh, Albie's uh, his development is going to be accelerated a lot quicker than what I originally thought it was going to be. Um, and Dansby, we've been hearing about him possibly coming up at some point this season ever since the trade. So it'll be interesting to see what these guys do when they're at the, at the major league level. Uh, but moving on to some other prospects, we have a question from... Matt in Charlotte, who asks, How concerned should we be about Manny Benuelos' velocity? I read his fastball was clocking in at 88 miles per hour. Um, do any of you have, have any uh, hot takes on this question right off the top? Gary, it, go ahead. Is, this, is he speaking just on red that it's clocking that in spring training? Because if it is, it's possible that he's still holding back. I think that was what it was last year that he was... Mm-hmm. holding back, throwing a little slower to kind of work on his command and get back into it after his Tommy John. Last year, I saw him getting up 90, 91, 92 at times in Gwinnett, so I don't know if that's if it's an issue that if that's happening now that he's just now that he's now at 88, then it's I'd definitely be concerned because then you're looking at a possibility that he may be injured again. Yeah, I mean, he, he's look. He had these bone, he had these bone spurs in his elbow, and he <laughs> has reason to reason to be concerned about, amp, you know, amping up his workload and like amping up his arm. Um, if he's having been giving assurances, for, been given insur- assurances from the Braves that like if he is not throwing his hardest during spring training, it's not going to necessarily affect him getting a rotation spot. Yeah, like I could see. I could see him just taking a little bit off, just so like just to preserve his arm. You know, he's he just came back last year. He had an elbow issue, but it was it was it was more of a cleanup procedure than anything else. I mean, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic, uh, but I'm I understand a certain level of watching and waiting. And if he if we get like you know towards the very end of the spring training and he we don't see an improvement or it's actually getting worse, uh, it's definitely cause for concern because. Uh, we don't have any lefties in the rotation, yeah, and that's that's problematic, um, especially with some lineups. Okay, you want to you want to at least have that you know club in your bag. Yeah, this this uh, this one really isn't too concerning for me, considering the fact that all of last season you saw Benuelos at eighty nine. I mean, I think his fastball averaged just under just around ninety, according to Brooks Baseball. It was right around ninety for his two thousand fifteen season, and if you're concerned that this 88 miles per hour uh, is is some some sort of a difference from 2015, or you think he's lost something? I wouldn't be concerned. But if you're just concerned that Ben Willis, after his injuries, he can't get up to the mid 90s like he used to when he was a more highly touted prospect, I think those are two different questions. Uh, but I I do think that Ben Willis has the stuff to be able to succeed as maybe a back end starter with 90 mile an hour fastball. Um, so I'm not super concerned about that. I'd be more concerned just about his health, honestly. And, and if you if you guys like you guys are saying, if he's just not giving it at all in the spring to, to prevent any sort of injuries, then 
I don't think that's a huge deal. I, I'm, I'm not really concerned with how fast he's throwing in the spring, though. Uh, another question about one of the young pitchers from Sparhawk. Uh, with John Gant missing the cut, does he have a shot uh, at making the starting rotation, I believe is the, the presumed question. I think he can easily be the number three starter before long. Uh, Eric, what do you think about that uh, well, analysis? I'm pretty, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure this comment was written by Fangraphs writer Dan Farnsworth, if that's the way he thinks it's going to happen. He's the <laughs> number three starter. Um, that, I, I love I love, <laughs> I love Gant. I really do. His, his changeup is really something special. Um, I am... I think him missing the cut is making it much more likely that he ends up in the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that seems to be what the reporting is, is like, you know, he's actually pretty close. Um, I see him as a starter. I see him as like a number four or a number five, though, because I think his changeup is really good. I just don't know if his, like his, his fastball and his other offerings will necessarily do enough at the major league level. Yep. With the following caveat. At every level, Gant has been like, oh, well, when, when he gets promoted this time batters will figure him out and he won't perform well and all the guy does is perform well with the notable exception of when he was promoted very quickly to AAA early on and he got he got knocked around but once he got brought back down to where the level he was developing where he should have been all he's done is perform at every level so and he's been and he's been probably the best prospect this spring just in terms of results he they're, they're not they're not hitting him so whether or not the Braves give him a tryout in the rotation I Kind of doubt it, just based on their mo, especially this year, and in terms of service time. But they're definitely giving him a long look, and I don't know if I necessarily blame him. He's been really good. Yeah. Do you think that it's a, the smart decision to put him in the bullpen, or would you keep him in the rotation even if he was at the minor league level? What, what would you go about doing that? I mean, obviously, you think he can be a starting pitcher. Do you think there's anything that he'll lose if he is put into the bullpen for a year before maybe making a reappearance in the rotation at some point along the line? I don't, I don't like the idea of having to stretch him out again and get him used to being a starting pitcher again yeah. after a year of being in the bullpen. I mean, there's guys like Chris Medlin and you know guys like that who just, just put him anywhere and they will pitch, and they will pitch well. Um, it's helpful that he's not relying on like throwing 98 or 99 out of the bullpen or something like that. It's not like he's operating as a power pitcher necessarily. Yeah. Where you, you know, it, there's, I, mean, I mean, John Smoltz couldn't throw 98, but he only threw 98 when he was a Closer. He wasn't trying to do that too much as a starter because you can't do that for six or seven innings. Um, I don't know if you would lose a lot, but I just – I don't know if you necessarily take a guy out of a rotation, possible rotation spot and put him in the bullpen unless you're really you, – you, either your options are really bad mm-hmm. or – Or he's you, pitched himself out of that. Yeah, or, he's, or he has you know, failed that experiment like you know, yeah. a, a Fulton Awitz may uh, or something like that. Yeah, me and Brad talk about this a lot, and both of us generally agree that we, we like to see pitchers uh, given the opportunity to start if they have that potential and then pitch their themselves into the bullpen. Um, I'm not Obviously, I don't know what the, the Braves' thinking is regarding his role going forward, whether or not they, they want him in the bullpen just for this season, whether or not they don't think he can be a starter. But uh, what's kind of your, your, your scouting report on John Gant uh, more, more generally? Uh, I know we, we've heard that he doesn't have the, the greatest stuff as far as his fastball is concerned, but what, what, how would you guys describe this pitcher if you were to describe him to a Braves fan who really doesn't know much about him? Uh, Go ahead, okay. Jake. 
<clears throat> yeah, I'd say um, you know, one thing about him is he definitely he didn't have a great he had a horrible fastball before he was sick. You know, eighty eight, eighty nine. He made some mechanical adjustments with the pitching coach in St. Lucie when he was still with the Mets, and he jumped up. You know, he's touching ninety five now. But so that kind of puts him in a situation where he's a weird prospect because he doesn't have the pedigree, but he's starting to show the stuff. Um, he, I see him as a starter. I think he could be a solid back end type guy. Um, he's got all of his pitches. He can work all of his pitches, work them all in the zone. But it's so he's got a three or four pitch mix. I think it's four pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's definitely he's got the stuff to be a starter. Um, there's just so many guys in the system that have a three or four pitch mix and can throw ninety five. That it's some guys are going to the bullpen, and if I had to guess, he's going to be one of the ones that slide into the bullpen and work as maybe a long reliever, mid reliever type guy. Yeah, so I guess it, this might be the situation where you look at all the pitchers that the Braves have acquired, and people have asked, how are you going to have enough rotation spots for all these guys, even across the minor league level? So do you think this is maybe just a, uh, a product of the situation that he's been put into? There's just too many other guys who the Braves believe in uh, as starters, so he's just kind of the, the first man into the pen? I don't know if it's necessarily like, – I don't think that him getting the call first mm-hmm. necessarily means that he's lost out to these other guys for starter spots. Uh, he, and he certainly pitched better than like the Newcombs and the Blairs. The yeah. spring. Um, but they're very – they're different pitchers in the sense that he's already learned how to throw a plus to plus plus changeup, uh, which is not something that I think that any of our prospects can lay claim to. Mm-hmm. Um. It's a really good pitch. Now his fastball, now how good that pitch is, does depend on how good his fastball is playing, and you know how his other pitches are being. If, if you're sitting on the changeup, and I mean it, that's a completely, you don't want to be in a position where they know you're throwing the changeup because that's not yep. a good place to be as, as a pitcher. Um, I don't. I think that the Braves are just trying to put the best players on the field without completely trashing their future hopes of having a bunch of really young players under control for a long period of time. Okay. And if they think that if they think if John Kent can give them some real value early on and that he's not the highly touted prospect that's going to cost them a lot of money down the road, um, but and could possibly be a trade chip, uh, you have to remember, I mean, you can't keep all these guys. Mm. You're, you're, if, you're, if you're wanting to make a, be competitive in 2017 and 2018, some of these guys are going to have to show that they can play and that other teams are going to want them so that the Braves can go and get the players they need to be competitive in that time frame. Yeah. And so, so with, with yeah. this situation, it kind of sounds like Gant's one of these guys who really has a good feel for pitching, whereas you look at some of the other players with maybe more, more like better raw stuff with a Newcomb or a Toussaint or Lucas Sims, but, I mean, he really might not have that much to learn at the minor league level. Is that Could that also be why this might be unfolding how it is? I mean, just there's not that there's not that much you need to learn, and just kind of see how much success you can have, or or what do you think that he needs to develop still if he needs to do any of that? I think it's possible that it may have for him been a benefit to he pitched three four years in the minor leagues where he was throwing eighty eight eighty nine, so it helped him develop that ability to pitch and throw around guys without having to throw it past them. Mm-hmm. So he's definitely more advanced than most of the pitches they have. He's so. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I also think that him being added to the 40 man roster to not be rule five drafted might have something to do with it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but he was hit because he and Malik's were added. Um, so they might not want to use a roster spot. You know, have to deal with you know options and you know arbitration and all that stuff. Uh, Gant's already on the forty-man roster along with Tyrell, and it might just make sense that from the Braves' perspective that you know if he's already on the forty-man roster, let's to give him a longer look, and if he's going to be good, so be it. Gotcha. Cool. We might have been overthinking this the whole time, but either way, <laughs> either way, Gant is an interesting, interesting pitcher. I feel like I say this all the time, but it is a good problem to have when you have so many players that you think are interesting pitchers. I would say. Um, if there if there aren't any other uh, uh, guys in the in the system that you you want to talk about, we can move on to the infamous Adam LaRoche situation. But I want to give you guys a chance to touch on anyone else that you think we might. Uh, passed up or anyone that you're more excited about now or just anything else scouting wise you guys want to talk about how about baseball america top prospect hector Oliveira? yeah uh, he's, he's he's been surprisingly good and he's the last week or so he's actually hitting doubles and hitting the ball harder and i would not be surprised if he has a better year than we all kind of or fearing that he would. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to be a gold glove left fielder because that's just not going to happen. Um, <laughs> hey, but Nick Marquez won two, so don't sleep on him. <laughs> if he hits enough, he can win a gold glove. Derek Jeter has shown that that can be the case. Uh, that, you are absolutely not wrong about that. <laughs> no, but I, I like that. I, I mean, I feel like I've been a little more pro Oliveira than most people have, uh, at least in, in the Braves uh, sphere of things. And I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm excited that he's doing well. I still don't know what's going to happen with him positionally in the future, but I hope that he comes in and proves everyone wrong. As even even the people who are down on Oliver, they they hope that he can come in and prove them wrong, as I'm sure you guys would attest to. I think the people's expectations of what a player that makes you know five or six million dollars a year, uh, what needs to do to actually get that value on the field. Uh, if this guy hits you know two seventy five, two eighty, and you know hits fifteen to twenty home runs, and you know like has that sort of line. The Braves should be ecstatic for what the price that they're paying him per you know mm-hmm. per year. So, yeah, stronger on that. And, and what do you guys think about? Um, I know you you guys are the the scouting guys. So, what do you think about just him being labeled a prospect at this age? Do you think that's just kind of a semantics <laughs> thing, or is that just, boo? No, it's, not not fans. I'm pretty boo. sure Baseball America is the only one that thinks he's a prospect. In no, the I, I think, and yeah. I know why they do that. They definitely do that just because of. They they draw a line and that's where the line's at. If he's still rookie eligible, then they, they it, put him on it, his list. Yeah, base, baseball America's had been that way forever. It's not yeah. like this year they decided that they were going to make the Hector Oliveira rule, yeah. or that they wanted to. They wanted to make sure that they could talk about Hector Oliveira in their in their prospect issue. I think it's just this is the way it's always been. If you're rookie eligible, you get to be on the list. If you're not, you're not. Um, yeah. you know, and pipeline can be that way. You know, MLB pipeline can be very similar to that too. They're mm-hmm. they're. I mean, Hector Oliveira was only very very briefly on their list but it's just you know it's each list has their own you know eligibility requirements um garrett and i take the more organic approaches we just don't believe that he's a prospect and so we just don't put him on the list and that's just the end of the conversation fair enough can't argue with that i can see both schools of thought and i think there's value to each of them so for sure how about and then there's been a lot of excitement for me around all the instructors and everybody around camp has been talking about how good Ronald Acuna and um, Austin Riley have been this spring, so that's those. I mean, those are two of the most exciting prospects in the lower minor leagues. They're going to make for an exciting team in Rome this year. Or yeah, Austin Riley's definitely made a name for himself among the more casual Braves fans, including myself. But do you want to talk a little bit more about uh, Ronald Acuna, Garrett? Uh, what, he, what is what type of player is he? For those who don't know, he, he's that he's a five tool player. He he can hit. He showed that last year. He's got he's shown 
power. He's shown the speed. He's shown everything you want in a player in a center fielder. So he can stick at center field long term. He could be a middle of the order type baddies. There's reason to be excited. There's also reason, you know, to be cautious. He's 17 years old, but. Yeah, and is he one of those guys that could, depending on the year he has, could shoot up the prospect list and we see him in the top 10 at some point next year, or, or does he have that oh, kind of potential? Oh, yeah, he, he could yeah. easily be up in the top of the so, list. So, I feel like I need to say something here. When we were making our list, yeah. um, we got to, we, we made our preliminary list, and then Garrett said, well, wait, we don't have Ronald Acuna on here. <laughs> My solution to that was put him at 25. Nice. For all of you out there who yelled at me for having him only at 25, that was my fault. <laughs> um, it, it, we don't have a lot of information on Akuna. He's a very young player. But, I mean, we're hearing multiple scouts giving him the comp to a young Adam Jones. Oh, which, yeah, which would, be, which, would, which would be a crazy, you know, for the 25th best prospect in the organization to be an Adam Jones clone. Mm. Uh, uh, clearly, he has the talent and the, the skills to jump into the top 10. He probably will end up being the biggest jumper on the list. That being said, if you've seen the Tuki Toussaint gift that's been going around from J.J. Cooper, where he's throwing a nasty curveball, Ronald Acuna was the victim of those curveballs, <laughs> um, which, you know, you feel bad for a kid having to try to hit that. Um, but there's also a really fun gif with Austin Riley taking Gr- Jason Grilly deep in oh, his simulation beautiful. game. Yep. That's so. Nice. so do you guys think Acuna is going to develop that power? He's only hit four homers. Obviously, he's got a, a brief stretch in the minors at this point, and he is young. Do you think he's got the uh, potential to develop some of that power? Uh, he's. I mean, he definitely he only has four home runs, but you also see that he's got you know. 14 doubles on that list, you know, four triples. And as he matures, mm. some of those doubles and triples are going to turn into home runs and start going over the fence. And he could, I don't think he's going to be a 30 home run guy, but he could, you know, see him as a 15, 20, maybe even 25 home run type hitter. Very cool. And he has a frame that he could definitely fill out too. He's kind of, he's kind of, he looks skinny now. I feel like he could put on, you know, 15 pounds or so and be stronger and would have more power and it wouldn't affect his speed game at all. Very interesting. So Ronald Acuna, player to watch this season if you're interested in the prospect thing, which you should be if you're a Braves fan because that's probably going to be the most interesting storyline this season for you unless you're a fan of mediocre Major League Baseball. Um, so moving on to some to some more me- mediocre news headlines uh, in baseball, the Adam LaRoche incident. Uh, we had a question from K26DP. What do you make of the players versus front office feud happening in White in White Sox camp? LaRoche was obviously a popular teammate, but it seems like there must be more to it. So if you guys aren't familiar with this situation, uh, Adam LaRoche retired basically because he was told that he couldn't bring his son Drake into the locker room as much as he was doing. And it, it might even be he wasn't allowed to bring him to the locker room at all. Do you guys know what the... The specifics, or either way, he wasn't allowed to bring his son into the locker. The, oh, it's 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 it is unclear right now yeah. as to what was actually said, which yeah. is the fundamental <laughs> problem. But, so yeah. this this is kind of, I mean, it's not interesting. It's kind of disappointing and sad and depressing. We shouldn't be talking about Adam Roach's son being kicked out of the locker room when none of the players had a problem with it. But what do you guys think of this situation? Okay, I think that this is a very big non-story. Mm-hmm. 
parsed but made a very large story due to the fact that Kenny Williams, the GM for the or the I guess the vice president of the White Sox, is on the whole not a particularly well liked person and cannot do anything with any amount of subtlety whatsoever. <laughs> and Adam LaRoche is adored by his teammates, but everywhere he's played, he's he's going to end up being a great coach somewhere. And now the White Sox side of the story is look. We're not saying the kid can't be here every day. We're just saying you have to tone it down. Uh, I have never heard Kenny Williams in an actual heat of the moment be that rational. I think, what, <laughs> I think what happened was that Adam LaRoche and Kenny Williams were having a conversation, and Kenny Williams said something that was not anywhere close to that tactful, mm-hmm. and Adam LaRoche took that personally because, I mean, the, the White Sox are right. There's no place, there's no workplace where you can take your kid to every day. There's, there's not, and it's not unreasonable to say, hey, let's not have the kid here every day. And the White Sox have a really strong track record of, you know, like being really kid friendly. I mean, they gave the kid a locker last year, right next to LaRoche, and you know, it's not like that they're, you know, like the, the you know, like these big bad guys that are just out to go after your kids and don't want you around. But at the same time, if you're gonna be really heavy handed. You probably don't want to be it against like a captain of the team type guy, especially when he's on his way out. And you know, hats off to the LaRoche to saying, you know what? I'd rather not take your thirteen million dollars and stay at home with my son if this is the way you're going to be. And I don't think he would have done that if the White Sox were just saying, "Hey, can you just keep it to twice a week?" Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was. I think that there's, there's a lot more to this than just this story. I don't think LaRoche and the White Sox were necessarily getting along super well. It may have been about money. You know, it's just, just yeah. It's a weird situation. It's a weird. It's a weird story. I get both sides, but ultimately, I just think it's two personalities that probably don't need to be working together anymore. Yeah. If anything, this could. I feel like this might lead to some to more serious issues with the White Sox because I know Chris Sale came out pretty adamantly against the front office, and when your best player is saying so much negative stuff about the team he's on, that's never a good situation to be in. I know. Um, I was asked about this in the comments just because I was in the in the clubhouse um, last summer. Just someone asked how often were kids in the clubhouse, and I know AJ Pierzynski's son. He was in there pretty regularly. I, I don't think it was anything like every day, but I mean Pierzynski's kid. He's like, uh, like nine or ten years old, I think. He was running around the locker room, going and playing catch with his dad taking some some BP at times uh, before the, the players actually got started and it never seemed to be an issue. No players really seemed hung up over it. Uh, when, when Juan Uribe was with the team, I know his son was also there, uh, and it never seemed to be really an issue at all, so I don't know how this got blown up to be such a big situation. I guess you could see it if some of the players were upset, but it seems like all the players from the White Sox have come out and said that they're really disappointed with how everything unfolded. So... Uh, just a weird, a weird story, like you said, Eric, for the White Sox. Obviously, some Braves fans might still be attached to Adam LaRoche, given that he came up through the, the organization. But yeah, it's probably a non-story, but it's still fun to talk about. I think. Yeah, it's it's certainly like I said, Kenny Williams has a track record of not being a particularly easy guy to get along with, and I think it's possible that the White Sox were they were already giving LaRoche some problems in terms of how much money he was owed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, this is going to be kind of the straw, you know, like, Oh, now you're gonna tell me my son can't be here too. After you, <laughs> you know, like there's, there's a lot of strong personalities in play here. And I'm not, I don't think that the necessarily the White Sox had a, 
unreasonable stance of not every day, but I don't think that's what happened. I think that this is a blow up between an employer and employee, and you know the employee said bye. Yep. I guess when you're a millionaire, you can afford to say you don't need those $13 million, which is kind of surprising because we really don't see that even with all these guys who are making so much money. You don't see them turn down that last paycheck very often. So kudos to Adam LaRoche. I mean, Kadire just did it too, so you never know. I mean, it's a it's kind of a different world. Where we're, I mean, even in football, you know, these guys are turning down. I mean, Calvin, Johnson, turn, Calvin Johnson basically turned down $80 million just so he could, you know, Function Live. properly, yeah. Function yeah. properly in his old age. Um, I mean, Michael Gadire just turned. I mean, Michael Gadire just turned down the money from the Mets. He's like, yeah, I'm just done. I can't play anymore. And I mean, it's just happening more and more. Athletes are just taking more ownership of their lives. And there's like, hey, if this isn't the way it's going to be, then I can go to go home. Yep, he can live comfortably. All right, uh, I think that about does it for this podcast. Uh, really appreciate you two coming on. Uh, that's Eric Cole and Garrett Spain, who head up our prospect coverage on Talking Chop. If you guys want to follow them on Twitter, you can follow Eric at Leprechaun. What is the spelling of that, Eric? Uh, L-E-P-R-E-K-H-A-N. So, I don't know. A funny way of spelling it, yes. And then you can follow uh, Garrett at Braves, M-I-L-B. Is that correct, Garrett? Yes. Cool. You can follow myself at Carlos A. Colazzo. Uh, Follow the site at Talking Chop if you don't already. Uh, and be sure to check in on the site this week. We're starting up a lot of our season preview coverage this week. There should be a lot of good stuff going around uh, at the website. Uh, if you haven't already, you can feel free to leave the podcast a review and a rating on iTunes if you have the time for that. That would be extremely helpful. Uh, but until then, uh, take care and have a good one, guys. Thanks for listening. No problem. And everyone, please think of Brad in this trying moment in his basketball fandom. Uh, <laughs> Uh, his, his Michigan Wolverines did in fact fall. Uh, I'm not going to confirm or deny that that's why he's not here tonight, but you know, it would not be surprising. Honestly, that, that could be the case. Brad ditched because his Michigan team failed in the NCAA tournament, whereas my team, Tar Heels in North Carolina, are moving on, and they're looking strong at this point. So, Brad, hate to see it, buddy. Maybe you'll make it next time. We're thinking of you, sir. <laughs> Take care, guys. Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything. And now everything is data, which means more to process, more to analyze. And now more than ever, speed to answers matters. So how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? With SAS VIA, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at sas.com slash V-I-Y-A. From data privacy to the future of TV, retail media, and beyond, the world of digital marketing is constantly in flux. So how can you keep up? Well, The Current Report is there for you. 
Each week, marketing leaders on the cutting edge give you the latest insight. So if it's creating a buzz, they'll be talking about it. Subscribe to The Current Report wherever you get your podcasts.